Good morning, good morning, Daily Drop-In. Thank you for joining the Daily Drop-In, where the Teach Better team is live every single morning, Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern. Megan and I were just talking about that we are awake this morning and ready to go. It is Thursday, October 14th. We hope that you are slowly but surely filling up your coffee, getting ready for the day, and really ensuring that this is the best Thursday of, of the year. Just wait. This is going to be the best Thursday you've had so far. We have some good discussion we're going to be having today around mastery learning. You guys know we've been talking about that all week. We have a good news story. We have some kind of goofy, fun holidays going on today. And we are slowly but surely going to get started as we enter into our morning. So spit out your toothpaste. Kind of make sure that you are in a place that you can prop up your phone or laptop to listen to the show this morning. We will be asking you to comment, so maybe like put your cursor over the, the commenting feature on whatever platform you're watching from, and we will be right back. Good morning, good morning. Thank you for joining Daily Drop-In. We are going to start this morning off strong, encouraging each and every one of you to say good morning or hello in the chat. So even if you type the two words or the two, the two words, the two letters, H-I, like a, like a hello or a good morning, we'd love to hear from you bright and early to know that we are getting started with our wonderful Teach Better community. Megan, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I am good. Happy to be back on the daily drop-in. And, you know, usually it's so funny to say spit out your toothpaste. Usually like that's, I'm like brushing my teeth and stuff and I've got you on my phone and I'm just like taking you with me wherever I go. So I just am so flattered that that's how people have chosen to tune into daily drop-in because obviously I know we have people that watch like when we're not live after the fact, they listen at Teach Better Talk podcast or they like catch it on YouTube or Facebook later on, which is totally fine. However, I love the daily drop-in. We had that initial launch meeting for bringing this back to the community. It literally was, we want people to like stick us in their pocket or throw us like on a counter while they're doing other things. And I'm so glad that you're like, oh, that's how I do it. I'm like, yes. That's how it happens every day. You're kind of like my alarm to like get ready because I get up early and I'll catch myself like after I'm doing stuff, sitting on the couch watching TV. And you're kind of like, okay, daily drop-in has started. I need to like get up and start getting things going. But it's perfect because then, you know, I can't just take the TV with me. But like, you're on my phone. I can just take you with me anywhere See? I am. So. I, I just want to acknowledge that that I'm not ignorant to the fact that I know I'm not as entertaining as whoever you're watching on television. Like, I think yesterday during lunch, I like turned on like Kelly Ripa and Ryan Seacrest. And let's be honest, guys, I would rather watch them. But maybe if you're thinking like, you know, like what's on at like 6 a.m. in the morning, like like Law & Order is on. Like we might be able to top an episode of Law & Order that you've seen 1,600 times. So maybe not actually. I, I'm a big Law & Order fan, so who knows? That's true. Depends on the episode. Depends on the episode. <laughs> but yes, that is the point. And first of all, I have no idea how you watch TV in the morning. I think if I did that, I would like never move from the couch. So I guess I totally appreciate that if I was going to do that, having an intentional morning transition, 
that got me onto the next task would be a really good thing. So you have a good strategy there. Yeah, it's perfect. That between that and you know the dogs that are like, all right, we we now need something from you, so you have to move. But usually it's the daily drop in that starts that. I get up and then they're like, oh okay. I do have to say this morning when I went uh, when I got up before the show to walk the dogs, it was raining, and I really do every single time. Granted, I have I've had two dogs for at least four years, and I've owned a dog like for you know more than that. Every time it's raining in the morning, I look at them and I'm like, do you really need to go outside? Let's really debate this, boys. Like, do you really need to go outside? Because I stood in the rain for about 10 minutes before the show this morning. That might be my favorite part about having a backyard now. It's, oh, you have to go outside? Well, here you, it's raining, but here you go. Yeah. I'm going to stay inside this time. Well, that's totally true. Yeah. I mean, I I know that you're obviously like a staple in the Teach Better family. I should have like had you introduce yourself. I guess you should do that. But then also I wanted to joke about the fact that you had so many life changes this summer and you have a backyard for the first time in a long time. And it is nice to have like a fenced in yard that you can slide the door open, let the dogs out and you can just stay inside with your cup of coffee and just watch them get all drenched. It really is great. Really good. Well, okay. So we've been terrible because we're already gossiping, but Good morning, Megan. Would you mind kind of introducing yourself, even though I feel like everybody in the comments already that we've been seeing commenting this morning, like for sure know who you are, but we'll just pretend. That's fine. Yeah. Um, good morning. I am Megan Hosey. I formerly Megan Deegan. Um, I am a seventh grade math teacher in Tennessee. Still weird to say. Um, I mean, it sounded weird when you said that. Can you say that again? You I are. I have to say that out loud, like seventh grade math teacher in Tennessee. I, I have not said that out loud very much yet. Wow. I know. It sounds um, fancy. You should know. It sounds fancy. Oh, well, thank you. Better than Illinois right now. <laughs> I did say it was really bad weather today, so maybe. Um, I'm also one of the ambassador program coordinators with the Teach Better team with my partner in crime, Andrea. So, which, who, if you watched on Tuesday, you saw on Tuesday. Yeah, I want to complain for a second if we can, because you know what, what better thing to do at 6.06 Central Time or 7.06 Eastern Time than complain to you. But Megan, you and Andrea described yourself both, because you both were on live this week, described yourself as like, oh, we facilitate an ambassador program with the Teach Better team. Like guys, no, they like created, built, structure structured, maintained, sustained this massive ambassador program within the Teach Better family. You do not brag on yourself enough, Megan. Like legitimately, you joined the team and you were like, I have this wacky idea. It's going to take me a year to build. And we were like, that makes sense. Let's do it. Like, This ambassador program literally has changed and altered the, the family, the, the culture of this community. It's so stinking cool. It really is. Shout out to all of our amazingly incredible ambassadors who, let's be honest, like Andrew and I are like the ambassador program coordinators, but like, you know, it, it, we, we really just like to hang out with all the cool people now. And our ambassadors are just the coolest and most amazing people. Well, it's kind of like when you are a middle school teacher and like your kids are cooler than you, but you get to like hang out with them and like kind of be in charge. So you're like in the clear it's kind of like their ambassador program. Like you get to have like all this control and power and leadership. And yet like they're way cooler than you. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a really good analogy. I like that. 
that's cool. I mean, I do have a love for middle school. And you've all have you always taught middle school? Because I know you're teaching seventh grade math right now, but when in your last position too, you were seventh grade math. Yeah, it's either been eighth grade or seventh. I mean, I did eighth grade for like a year and a half, two years, and the rest has been seventh grade. So it's really funny. This week we've brought on obviously a lot of team members because we're talking about mastery learning, which we'll get to, friends. We we'll get there. We're getting started slow this morning. Um, but it's it's funny that everybody that joined us this week, I didn't realize all were middle school or all are middle school educators. That's totally not intentional. We have members of our team that teach elementary school or teach high school or are in leadership roles, like in a principal role or, you know, assistant superintendent role. It's just interesting to kind of look and be like, oh, we just brought all of our middle school people on this week. But there's there's so much similarity. There's so much overlap in the practices, the core values that we would implement at an elementary, middle school and high school level exist across grade levels. Obviously, there's major tweaks you would make depending on what you were teaching. But um, but yeah, it's just it's it's funny. So I have never taught eighth grade. That's like older than I than my past had brought me into. So but do you like seventh grade better? Seventh grades are like the, the middle child syndrome, right? Yeah, seventh grade is I they're just I just love them. I don't know what it is. You know, they drive you nuts probably on a daily basis. Um they are, I would argue, the most awkward age. Um, but they just, that's just where my heart is. I've done, you know, I've done eighth grade for a short amount of time. And I did enjoy eighth grade. I really did. Um, but I also think part of it is I like the math in seventh grade the best. Um, like, I don't think I could ever teach sixth grade. I, they're just, A, I, I don't really like the math that they do, um, which is terrible. But I just... I, I wouldn't want to teach it, you know, all year. And I just, yeah, it's, it's something about those seventh graders. Well, that's kind of the beauty of teaching, right? Like, yes, we typically like the age group, obviously, because of just the stage of life that they're in. But then also many of us got into a, a specific grade level or specific content area that we really felt like we loved. And I always find it fascinating, whether it be a daily drop-in or just in other avenues of education, where you meet somebody who's like, I could never teach anything else besides early education. And I'm like, early education, really? They're like, oh, I love kindergarten. I love first grade. Like second grade is my jam. I was like, I am so glad that you feel that way because I don't. And it's really, it's, it's, it's such a blessing that so many educators are like, no, I have a passion for a grade level that's different than yours. So that way we can really provide great education at all grade levels. <laughs> but I could never do it. Do you have a grade that you've, that you are confident you could never teach? Like K through three, K through four. <laughs> it's, I, I agree with you. I am so thankful that there are educators out there that are as amazing as they are and teach the little kids because I love little kids. I adore them. Mm -hmm. I really don't think I could be in a room of them all day. Like my seventh graders at times, I'm like, all right, like I didn't teach kindergarten for a reason. Let's let's rope this back in. So, you know, they're adorable, but I am so thankful that there are people out there that are made for elementary school. It is not me. I will admit it. It is definitely not me. Well, I think it's so fun. And obviously with the team, we're able to support educators K-12, but I want to hear in the comments. We have a lot of like incredible family members commenting right now and teach better family. Um, I remind us what grade level you teach. Like I see a few familiar faces that I'm like, Ooh, I feel like I know 
the age bracket, but throw in the comments. I would love to hear a reminder of what grades you are currently teaching. And if you have a specific subject, throw that in there too. We'd love to love to hear from you. Uh, Megan, when I taught at the university level, I actually was super surprised how much I, okay, this is a really bad thing to say live. I don't know why we're talking about this, but like why, how much I didn't like, like the age group of like almost graduating from their undergraduate degree. Like that was an age group that I really expected to love. Um, and I loved teaching at the university level for a lot of different reasons, but there was a moment where I was like, oh, this is just the wrong age group for me. Like I liked the content. I actually liked so many different things about the work I was doing, but yeah, it was like the age group that I didn't really connect with. And um, that surprised me. So I, I do think that there's that sweet spot between the content that you love and also like the, the stage of life, the phase of life that you really love about the students you're teaching and then kind of finding your medium. And obviously, I mean, educators switch grade levels all the time. So it's kind of fun to, to dabble, try different things. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. You, it's, it really is. You're super lucky. I think if you find both, you know, the content, like you said, and that grade level. So I feel super lucky to have been in seventh grade, but also to have gotten a seventh grade position when switching schools in states. Cause let's be honest, I was not being picky. Um, it was, I can teach sixth grade through 12th grade. So it was any math position that was open. So. Okay. So your certification, and I apologize if this is like, we're going really deep in the weeds on a topic. I didn't think we'd talk this much about, but your certification is like, six through 12. Is that the degree you have? Okay. Because yeah, mine is K to eight. So I have like the opposite end. So really cool. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that about you. I truly, I, I mean, I'll say this now because it's been however many years. If you would have asked me when I was at Illinois State getting my undergrad, mm -hmm. I never had any interest in teaching middle school. I only got my middle school endorsement because it was an extra two classes. Yeah. And it, I mean, it fit into what I was doing anyways. But I swore I would never, ever, ever teach middle school. It was high school or it was nothing. And then I student taught seventh grade and Loved it. apparently I've just never left. So, see, I knew I, when I went to college, I forget that like we went to the same university. That's another thing we want to hear in the comments. Like, where did you study? Because it's, so, it's always fun to find somebody who is an alum of a similar university. Um, but I went to the middle level program. So I have a certification K 8 like through my like degree, but I specialized in six through eight the whole time. So I was always so nervous that at some point in my career, I would have to teach like third grade and I have absolutely zero understanding. I, I appreciate that my degree gives me that flexibility, but you absolutely don't want Ray teaching an elementary class. Like I love being able to visit elementary school teachers, classrooms and coach and collaborate. Like, oh my gosh, that's such a passion of mine. But you put Ray in an elementary school classroom for more than five days? Mm -mm, not going to go. <laughs> not happening. Oh, my gosh. It's so funny how all that works. But we do have a lot of comments coming in of people that are all over from the comments this morning. Uh, high school, we have six, uh, five to six bilingual. We have five to six in just a general ed class. Um, six to 12. Oh, yeah. ELA is one of the degrees. Oh, Adam's giving a shout out to Cleveland State University. Go Vikings. Hey, there you go. I love that. Obviously, we're Cleveland's at. So. Yeah, we're at Illinois State Redbirds. So we'll give a little shout out, a little plug to them. 
Um, okay, we have talked for 15 minutes about nothing, Megan. I'm sorry. It's just always so fun to talk to you. Um, this is why I love working with you. Um, but let's actually get into like the meat and potatoes of our discussion today. Let's get into mastery learning. We're going to be taking questions live. And then, of course, if you guys have submitted questions in the brainstorm bank, like that's good. I'm going to take off my dog's collar so that you stop hearing the the clinking. I usually do this before the show starts. And I do say I just forgot this morning. So we'll be right back with all that good stuff. And then get your questions ready for Megan, because let's let's ask her some tough ones this morning. That will be good. All right. All right, guys, you know how Brainstorm Bank works. Um, this is our intentional time that we take every single morning during daily drop-in to say, hey, friends, do you need anything? We're here to brainstorm with you, whether it be a general question that you have about the Teach Better team or a general question you might have about our theme this week, which is mastery learning. Um, maybe you have a specific question you've been dying to ask Megan, and now she's live and she has to answer it. And or, of course, if you are spending your day in the trenches with students, and you're running into a hurdle, it could be a behavior problem, it could be a classroom management concern, it could be a content question. We may not have the answer, but we would really love to be here to brainstorm with you. So however that works for you and fits with you, we want you to know that we are here every single morning to create and foster that space and talk about shenanigans. So always a good thing. Megan, your experience with mastery learning has been, I know, such a roller coaster. Um, but I also feel like right or wrong, and I told you this in a meeting earlier this week, I feel like I've been a part of it. So I've gotten to see so much of the work you've done. And yes, of course, I know that I wasn't there for the whole thing, but I like really was excited to interview about this topic because I feel like we connected so early on in your experience with this. And now obviously you facilitate training with teachers and you've just done so many incredible things in your career thus far. So very excited to talk about this. Will you kind of get us started with where you started learning about this concept? Like how did this come about? Why is mastery learning something that you are passionate about? Yeah, you you really have been there since the beginning. Like you were there since I like met with you and was like, here's what I have. Please tell me what to do with it. Okay, but honestly, I remember our first phone call. It was like a Zoom call with our friend Tiffany Ott, and I was sitting in this chair, and I vividly remember our first conversation. Oh, yeah, I remember exactly where I was sitting. Oh, yeah, it's it's super funny, but that was, I mean, that was truly the first time where I was like, okay, there's there's some structure to this. So it honestly, it came out of frustration. That's like kind of what got me onto this was because I was, I it was my first year in the district that I was just in. And I was just getting so frustrated because I knew that I wasn't reaching all of my kids. And that's just one of the most extremely frustrating things to me. Like I knew I had kids that were bored. I knew I was getting behavior problems because they were bored or they didn't understand. And we were moving too quickly. And like all of that was something that was just feeding into the frustration. And finally I was like, okay, there, I have to do something differently. And so that's when I kind of started doing a self-paced model with them based on mastery. So it was when you reach, you know, your 85% on this concept, great. You can move on to the next concept. Doesn't matter where anyone else is at. You can move on. The problem was the first time I did this, thank 
goodness that my children were just the most amazing group of kids in the entire world. Um, because truly I sat down in front of them on day one and was like, so we're going to try this and I'm going to be honest. I don't know how it's going to go. Um, but I think, and I, I said, I was like, this is why I'm doing it because some of you are bored and some of you are frustrated because you don't, you can't keep up and you shouldn't have to keep up with a pace that I'm setting as a teacher who knows all of this already. Um, and so I was like, so I'm trying to do this for you. We're going to do this together and see how it goes. And again, they were incredible incredible children that year, because this was also in like March. So, you know, we were more than halfway through a year and I was like, Hey, great. We're going to change everything we're doing. But what I very quickly realized was the concept behind it and the mastery part of it was exactly what they needed. They were thriving on that. It was really just the organization standpoint of, uh, it, it wasn't organized the way I would want it to, which was when I had found the grid and I was like, this was the piece that I've been missing where it just kind of puts it all together for me and I can have it all in one place for the kids. You know, it, it's just all there. And so then I've, I mean, I've continued and I got to the point where it was like, I, the second year I did the same thing. I waited till like February or March to start it, which is, I'm not going to say it's a terrible idea. You go ahead. Like if you haven't started this yet and you want to, you start it whenever you want. But being someone who like had it planned, that was a terrible idea for me. I was just too afraid to like actually jump in. And so then the third year I was like, it has to be all or nothing now. Um, so I, we just started with grids and we kept that mastery learning and we, you know, we kept that framework going and it truly was just seeing a different side of the child. I mean, because they were able to work without frustration and without boredom, which I think is a lot of times, you know, two things that we are encountering in our classroom often, because you cannot teach one lesson to everyone and expect to differentiate for every single child in front of you in like in one lesson. So. Okay. So there are about 75 questions I have for you now because of your, your brief summary of kind of of this journey. If you're listening right now, live with us in the comments and you heard a specific element of our story that you want her to elaborate on, just put like one word. We'll be able to see it in the comments. We'll know what you mean. Like one word that you want Megan to elaborate on because you touched on really this whole progression, not only why you started, but how you started, the, the transparency you provided to students, kind of like your growth, how it took you three years until you even chose to start the year with it. There's a whole lot there and I, I'm not even sure where I want to begin, but maybe we'll start with first the transparency. I love and so appreciate educators that can take an approach where they're trying something new and rather than deciding they're trying something new on their own and they're just going to feed it to their students, they involve their students in this process of trying something new. So tell me a little bit about that. You sat your students down and you were like, I'm doing something different. Do it with me. What do you think allows... Again, my question is like, why was that the strategy you went with versus just being like, I'm the teacher, I'm deciding to do something new, I'm going to tell them we're doing this. Don't get me wrong, you can, you can do that. You can, you know, you can go in front of your class, this is what we're doing, I'm the teacher, we're doing this. And I've done it before. Um, but like, I, and I don't know if it's maybe because I teach middle school, but I need the buy-in. And my kids are only going to buy-in if they understand why. And it was... 
I was changing everything about their classroom. Like it's not just my classroom. This was our classroom that we spent so much time building. And so I felt like if I was going to completely change their entire classroom setting, they needed to understand why. And, you know, I'll say it a million times. I will do anything anyone asks me to do if it's truly what's best for my kids. I will. And so that was what I really wanted to get out to them was I wasn't changing this to take work off of me. It wasn't me being like, well, I'm tired of standing here in front of you and teaching for 45 minutes. Like I wanted them to understand that that was not it. And I also wanted them to understand that this wasn't me not teaching anymore. This was them getting exactly what they need when they needed it. And some of them didn't need me to teach them certain concepts. They could look at it and they could get it. They could watch a quick YouTube video and they could get it. And that's okay. Like I'm not the person that needs to deliver it to them all the time. But I needed them to understand that because that was how I was going to get the buy-in. And I wanted them to also continue to be honest with me. Um, this was only going to work. And I mean, I still do this now because I will tell you as somebody who is, I mean, I'll admit I'm not running a grid right now, but that's a different story. Um, but no, but that's, so I, I won't make you collaborate on that. I want you to keep going, elaborate, but, um, but yes, that's good for people to know because people, educators can do the grid and then choose to step away from it. And there is no shame in that. Like the fact that you're not running a grid right now is actually super interesting information. So thank you for noting that, but keep going. Okay. Well, we're going to get to a grid, but I think like it's every year I've done the grid, I have different kits. So there are things that as much as I've done this every time are always changing and it's changing for their need. It's what they need. Some things work for some of my kids and don't work for others or some years they need more of one thing and less of another. So I think that was a huge part of it is I wanted their feedback and their honesty of what was working and what wasn't so that I could continue to make the changes to make it better for them. And, you know, I told them you could suggest a change to me and it's probably not going to happen tomorrow. But as I'm looking at our next grid and our next unit, those are things that I want to try to make changes for because it's something that you are voicing would either be beneficial or something that's there that like, maybe we just don't need. Sure. So Megan, something that I really just vividly remember is sitting down with you for your first grid. And again, I mentioned we were with our friend Tiffany and we were going through on a, on like a Google meet or something like going through feedback on a grid that you had sent us. And I don't know how I was involved. I think you originally reached out to Tiff and then somehow like, I was like, I want to come to the party too. And now I assume there's been not only a lot of work you've done with students, but I know your grids have evolved. Talk to me about that process. Cause we're talking about mastery learning and yes, as I continue to say all week, we are biased. We love the grid method. But regardless of what mastery learning framework you use, the evolution of your implementation should really have like major adjustments over time that you see. Like you should see this growth and change in your practices. So can you give us a little feedback on like where you started, what grids looked like or what your mindset maybe was at that time? And then how you saw a shift maybe to where you are now in your career. Yeah. I mean, when I started, it was, it was very, very simple. It, and not that it isn't now, but it was very, this is already what I was going to be doing in my lessons. Mm -hmm. So now you're going to, it, it was more, you're going to be able to do this, but you have to show me mastery. And I'll be honest before that, because there was so much going on. 
you know, I'd have kids fail a test and it was incredibly frustrating to me and not because they failed. It was frustrating because it was a, okay, where was the miscommunication at that? Like I didn't catch that ahead of time. And now they have an F now we are moving on like, okay, great. You took a test on Tuesday, Wednesday, we're starting our next unit. And so that to me was like, it was super basic and just, this is what we're going to be doing. I was just taking more, I was taking more accountability for where they were at. And so I started checking in with them more often and they had, you know, like a quiz more often, like maybe once a week where I could see where they were at before we were getting to the test, you know, prior to all that, it was a quiz maybe halfway through the unit and then a test at the end. Right. So it was just more of like a check-in with them. And then it was, honestly, it was going back if they weren't mastering it, it was going back and reworking what they had already done. Whereas, you know, as I've gone, I've built in some of that reteaching and that practice. I've built it into what they're doing to where I'm not going back and maybe redoing what they've done. We're doing something slightly different together. Or I use quizzes a lot or, you know, things like that because it's self-grade. So now it's almost every single concept. They have something where they have to get an 85% or higher before they can even move on to the next concept. Because I'm, yes, I still have the quiz, you know, just about once a week to check in with them, but they should know before they even get to the quiz whether or not they know the content and what what part of that they need help with and they need more reteaching with. So I think I've just built in a lot more of that mastery per concept. And whereas before it was like, here's your unit mastery, show me everything you've learned. Now it's, have you mastered that concept before you're going to the next one? Yeah, I, I vividly remember that. And I think that that's been so neat to watch some growth and development on and obviously now you get to like help, you know, educators in the family of the Teach Better family, like do this on their own. But one thing I noticed very early on with where you kind of started in this process is that you really just decided to do more formative assessment and really chunk things down into targeted bite-sized pieces. So if a hurdle came up, so if a miss, you know, a, a student struggle with a concept, you really could identify very quickly, oh, you're struggling with this idea. We need more practice and reteaching on this small chunk versus like you were saying before, kind of looking at maybe a full unit or a full target. And then you run into these issues of, okay, you're struggling with this idea, but there's, there's, there's a lot of depth within this concept. So I need to better identify within the concept where the struggle is. So I think that that was like very, very prevalent. The first few times I met with you was that you were like, okay, like formative assessments kind of going to be the shift I make right away. And then you're just from there, your grid, and please tell me I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure your grid the first time we met was more like a checklist than a grid. Is that true? Tell me about that. Cause that's what I remember. I remember looking at your grid and being like, this doesn't look like a grid, like the, the appearance of it, but the concepts, a lot of the core concepts existed. And it was cool to be able to see a teacher like make a shift, but not go all the way into making it like look quote unquote, the way Chad, you know, teaches it to be or whatever. Yeah, that's, I mean, that was exactly it. What I was doing the very first time I ever tried this with my kids was I basically took everything that we were doing and made it into a checklist for them where, you know, they would complete something 
And again, as long as, you know, 85% or higher on whatever they were doing, and then I would sign off on it and they would get to move on. And that's where I was struggling was I didn't, I didn't love that. I loved what we were doing and I loved the shift we were making, but I was not loving the setup of it. And so that's when I found the grid. I was like, I feel like this is the piece that I've been missing to kind of put like all of this together. But then when I started building the grids, it, it made me go back and evaluate everything that I was doing content wise Mm -hmm. and include more practice. Like that, I think is the biggest thing for my kids with mastery. And I know it's different subject to subject, but with math, like they need to build in that practice. So there always needs to be that independent, you know, where, and I always tell them, you know, I, I have seventh graders, they are super needy and they're like, but but can you just help me with this? You know, so we build in that independence to help them practice on their own, but that's what really prepares them for the mastery. And I'm not saying your practice has to be 30 problems. Like I usually put five to 10 problems and I tell them once you get three in a row, right, you're good. If you can do three, I don't need you to show me 15. That's a waste of time. But I put more on there so that I can work with my students that do need the help and they still have problems that they can you know, independently practice. Well, and that's interesting, Megan. There's like a ton there to, we could even pick apart those pieces, but really thinking about an educator who this week maybe is considering making the shift to mastery learning. Maybe they want to learn more about the grid method. I know that you and I are both like, hey, the checklist system had positives, but there were a lot of hurdles and and pitfalls that, that we encourage educators to kind of do a little bit more than just that checklist shift. But I really think it's an important part of your journey. It's an important part of so many educators' journeys because at the time, you were looking to do something a little bit differently. You were seeing the why and why you wanted to change. But as an educator, like it's okay to not risk it all. It's okay to make minor tweaks as you go and over time work to maybe what you feel like right now is the end goal. And maybe that end goal even changes later on. But What I really appreciated, and I vividly remember this the first time we met, is you're like, this isn't where I want to end up, but right now this is as much as I'm willing to adjust. And and I think that that's like such an important concept to discuss because if you're looking at a new idea, regardless of the new idea, mastery learning being the focus this week, it's okay to stay reasonably within your comfort zone and do small little tweaks as you go. And I I love that that so many educators have chosen to do that because diving all in isn't necessarily the right option either. And, you know, the checklist provided so many different reflective moments that then eventually you got into making sure your content was scaffolded. Eventually you got into, okay, I'm going to structure it where they learn a new idea, have practiced for that idea, and then we formatively assess if they understand that concept before they move forward. Like all of those small shifts don't need to happen at once. And I hate the notion that they're like required to all happen at once. It's absolutely not true. It's really not. If you like, if you are listening and you've been listening this week and you're like, my kind of, you know, I'm planning maybe for next week and I want to try mastery learning, try it with a lesson. It doesn't have to be, okay, I have to replan my entire unit. It really doesn't. That is not at all what I started with. It's plan a lesson. And I think one thing that I will say too, because I I know that this is a conversation that comes up a lot and you don't have to grade everything. Yes, my kids work towards mastery, which yes means that they do a lot of practice. No, I do not grade everything. I give feedback 
100%. I get feedback. But the grades do not, A, I don't grade at all, and it doesn't go in the grade book. Um, the only thing that goes in my grade book, for the most part, are assessments. And that leads to then, well, and I've been told this a million times, your kids aren't going to do the work if they're not, if it's not a grade. Yes, they will. Um, I was told that even I have an honors class this year and I was told that with my honors kids, like they're not going to do it if it's not worth a hundred points, which was like, I was like, well, challenge accepted. Um, no, but really, truly they, they do, but it, it all comes from how you're presenting it. Like I present this to my kids of, I'm going to level with you immediately. You're not getting a grade on any of the practice that you're doing. Yes, we're going to give feedback. And if they're doing a quizzes, that's giving them a percentage and things. But I'm not putting that in the grade book because this is your time to practice. Make all your mistakes. Make sure you know it. When you get to your quiz or your test, yeah, that goes in the grade book. That is you showing me what you know. By then, you have shown me your mastery. You have made your mistakes. We have corrected them. We've worked together. You know what you're doing. That is what goes in the grade book. So I do not grade everything. I give them a lot of practice, probably too much practice sometimes, but that doesn't always mean that they're all doing all of it. Um, so I think like it's super easy, pick a lesson and just build in some mastery in that lesson. What are things that, first of all, what do you, what percent do you want them? Are you going to consider mastery on that? What do you need them to show you and how can they show you that? If you build that into one lesson, and I'm again, I'm not saying you have to grade it all. You do not. Give them feedback because they need to know where they're at. Otherwise, yes, it is pointless that they're doing it. If you're if they're not getting some sort of, you know, yes, this is right, or no, this is, you know, we need to work on this. But you can do mastery learning. Start it with one lesson. I'm warning you though, you're gonna start it with one lesson. You're really gonna love it. And then suddenly you're gonna have to do like every lesson. But start with one lesson. I, I really like that. I think the last layer of that is if you start with one lesson and you're thinking through all these pieces, make sure you also know that when your students give you information, like maybe they don't know something or they need reteaching, think about what your next response is for that too. Because I know a lot of educators who get started in this, they plan a unit that, that has differentiation and formative assessment and all this stuff. And then they're like, okay, Megan, I collected all this information and I got data, finally collected like authentic data from my students that 10 of them get it, five of them don't know anything at all, and five are gifted and running with the concept. And the last step is knowing like, okay, so what's then the next response, right? Thinking through, which is why I like the grid, because the grid allows you to then get like really focus on whatever core group you need to work on while the other students have other things that they can continue their learning with. They're not only learning when you can have your eyes on them, but either way, I love that suggestion. I love the suggestion that we've been giving all week, like start with a lesson, start with a week, start with a unit. You don't have to start with the whole year. You're not like signing your life away. Such a cool idea. Yeah, it can be, it can be really simple. You don't have to, you don't have to jump all in. I mean, again, I'm, I am not running a grid right now. That doesn't mean that my students aren't working towards mastery. They are. It's just, it looks different because we haven't, I have not put it into the grid format yet and introduced that to them, which it's coming. It will, you know, we're going to start in October, November. So that'll be, that'll be, be interesting. Itself, but 
But Megan, actually, let's focus on that. So you you went to a new school. You decided not to start with the grid method in your class. I'm kind of like giving context because I know I know kind of this backstory. For a lot of reasons, you decided I'm going to not start with the grid right, right away. And what I appreciate about that, though, Megan, is that that doesn't mean that all that work, all that reflection like is gone. I mean, the 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 concept of moving into mastery learning is really a, a mindset shift. You're carrying that mindset in whatever lesson planning you're doing right now. You're you're thinking through in that standard-based way of where am I working towards? How do I scaffold my information using the backwards design? What are my targets? How do I want to build in opportunities for reteaching? Just because you're not doing a grid doesn't mean that you're not consistently thinking about those best practices that the grid really requires the teacher to think through. Absolutely. It's again, I with starting in a new state, new school and everything like that, um, I mainly pulled back on the grid because they also my district puts our curriculum in a different order. So that right there threw me for a loop. And we, you know, we had a new textbook. And so I wasn't really sure of the textbook in general. So it was I could not without teaching it, I could not figure out how to kind of make those mesh together. Now that I've taught with the book, like I wholeheartedly can build a grid and, you know, tie both together. But that is, again, like you said, I'm not, I haven't gotten rid of all of those concepts. Like we, we are still working towards mastery. It's, it's not organized in a grid, but we're still doing that. We're still, they are still practicing a lot. They are still, showing me 85% or more before we move on. And if they don't, then we're reteaching and we're working on that concept again. It's, you know, I know there are a ton of educators out there that pull small groups and work with their small groups because maybe they have, you know, a group that is struggling with the concept. That is literally what I'm doing. And the kids that I'm maybe not pulling for a small group, it's because they understand it it was their mastery of that concept that told me that. So like that all is huge chunks of mastery learning. It's just kind of putting it all, putting it all together and making it like work within your classroom, which is going to look different for everyone. What I do in my classroom is not going to be what works. I mean, Andrea and I worked at the exact same school and she taught ELA and I taught math. We both taught the grid method. We both learned from the same people and our classrooms look different. Because we are just different people. We are different educators. It doesn't have to look the exact same. And what works for me doesn't have to work for everyone. One of my biggest suggestions, though, with like what I do in my class with mastery learning is because you want to provide them feedback and you want them to know where they're at and you want them to be working towards that 85%, I like to get them like immediate feedback if possible. And I know sometimes immediate feedback just is not possible. But I do a lot of quizzes and Google forms and stuff because those are very quick checks and it gives them that immediate score. It shows them exactly where they're at right away. So I think that those are also things that I've been able to use in my classroom that take a lot off of me in terms of feedback because it gives that to them for them. Um, But that's been helpful in terms of giving me a little bit more time. Megan, I love that today has been able to focus on the fact that like it doesn't have to look like what you are envisioning a perfect, you know, mastery learning classroom to look like right off the bat. And I love that 
today we've been able to focus on this like evolution process, focus on small chunks of you being a learner along with the process and focusing on the fact that anytime you're implementing something new, earning buy-in from your, from your class by being transparent, sharing the why behind why you want to make a shift and also sharing that those tweaks are appropriate and welcomed and it's okay to go slow. Like all this is really, really good. So I'm thrilled that this has been able to be the focus. I knew that we were going to get into some good stuff this morning. And I always love being able to reflect with you because again, like you and I are different teachers. Andrea is a different type of teacher. Everybody on the team, everybody in the Teach Better network is has their own individual characteristics. I love that you are able to bring in your own style, your own passions into this type of classroom. And we encourage it. We want that because the beauty of all these different educators doing it their own way with the same fundamental core values of, of what a mastery classroom, successful classroom looks like allows us to reach every single student at every single grade level. So, so stinking incredible. Uh, Megan, final thought on this concept of people have tuned in. Uh, you've given a ton of advice. So I don't even know that I'm looking for advice, but um, as we transition here into like good news for the day, any final words of wisdom you want to share with the crew on this mastery learning concept? I think just stressing again that you don't have to do an all-in leap and you don't have to set super high expectations for yourself. If you ask me right now, if you would have asked me last year, even when I was like running the grid, my perfect classroom is not what my classroom necessarily looked like. There are so many things that I still want to do, but it's baby steps. It's taking, I mean, truly, ironically, master something yourself. It's taking one thing into your classroom and you mastering that and how that looks and what it looks like and having to make your changes and make your fixes so that it truly is, you know, mastered in your classroom and then adding something else. So start, start small. Start with a day. Doesn't have to be a whole unit. It doesn't have to be something crazy. It doesn't have to be over the top. Just start with one day and see how it goes. Because in one day, I guarantee you, you're going to see things that you like and don't like. And you're going to be able to make changes and shifts that the next time you do this, then it's going to be better and it's going to be smoother. And, you know, have a lot of grace. It's, it's a crazy year. It still is. And your kids have had some crazy years. You've had some crazy years. And I will tell you that the shift, although absolutely wonderful, it takes an adjustment. It's different. If you aren't necessarily doing this, it's different for your kids. So just have a little grace as they figure out what this is and what this looks like and, you know, how it works. I love it. Great, great piece of advice. We're going to transition here into our holiday celebrations for the day and also some good news story to add some extra positivity and love to your day before we conclude our show this morning on Thursday, October 14th. We'll be right back. Thank you for joining the Daily Drop-In this morning, where we're live every single morning, streaming on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch at 7 a.m. Eastern. Megan and I have been talking shop this entire time, so if you are tuning in right now, you have missed some great dialogue, some good jokes, some good stories. Make sure to go back and listen in to all that dialogue, not only from today, but obviously all week. We're focused on 
mastery learning, those beginning steps, and everybody has their own suggestions. So it's been really fun to be able to do this all week long. We are getting into some holidays and some good celebrations. Megan, I do have a question for you that will determine if today is a very special day in your world or just a, just a great day. So are you a sweet person or a salty person? And I don't mean salty like sassy. I mean, like, do you like sweet, like do you have a sweet tooth or what is it? Savory? Is that the word to describe that? There you go. Um, definitely have a sweet tooth. Although if you combine the sweet and salty, that's, that's one of my favorites, but definitely sweet over salty. Well, today is national dessert day. So let them eat cake. This popular French uh, saying holds true, especially today for National Desserts Day. So make sure you have extra, extra desserts today. Um, as we look at other holidays today, some other notable ones outside of desserts being a huge thing is World Sight Day. So read on, get ready to see uh, appreciation for the gift of sight, which is kind of interesting. That would be a really cool thing to kind of dive into with students, this concept of being able to see the world with your eyes. Very, very cool. And it's also World Standards Day, which is not mathematical standards or common core standards, but global standard standardization is satisfying the need of government, industry, businesses, consumers worldwide. So two different world holidays and then also the National Dessert Day for today. Will you be eating dessert at all, Megan? It's Thursday. Will you find an excuse to eat dessert? I feel like you've just basically told me that instead of waiting until tomorrow to go get the crumble cookies that I've been waiting for, I should go today. So. Today. Well, actually, Megan, it's not me. It's the world telling you that you the need to do that. So like, I feel like it's okay then. It's absolutely okay. You all should go and eat a little bit of dessert. So if you're an educator right now and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm the longest day ahead of me. I don't have time to go pick up a wonderful crumble cookie later today. Like an Oreo will do anything dessert wise. Just make sure that you have something sweet in your plan for today. Whatever dessert means to you. I know educators that look at dessert as not even something that's like a sweet, like a cake. It might be something else. So go enjoy dessert today. You're allowed. As far as our good news story, Megan, you guys know that we do a good news story every single day. To not only like bring some positivity to your life, but this is also an article that you could bring to your students or bring to a colleague or a staff member to foster relationships, foster discussion. Um, Megan Wells, we are going to ignore you in the comments because she is listing the calorie intake of desserts. Megan, calories don't count on dessert day. They only count on other days. So today it doesn't matter how much the cookie crumble calorie is. Come on. Terrible. It really doesn't matter any day. I mean, I will eat them no matter what. So. Yes. Yes. A little bit of dessert goes a long way, friends. Make sure. Yes. It's fine. Yes. I'll, we'll take all the calories out of all the meals today. So do it, it's all right. You're welcome to eat it all. It's no big deal. <laughs> I like that. Um, the article today I thought was really interesting. And Megan, this might be kind of like a, I don't know if it, it is a good news story, but it's kind of an interesting news story as well. This is absolutely something that you could fit into a writing class, a reading class, a science class, a math class. There's a lot here. Um, but this is the article's title is Towering Over the City. This farm scraper will produce 270 tons of food in 51 stories. So this is an article about um, the fact that they have built a skyscraper 
but the outside layer, so you have to like go look up this picture. So the inside is a building, a functioning building. It has office space and apartments and everything in between. There's like this outside membrane of the building, which I know is a very strange concept that is essentially growing produce, growing food for the community. It is 51 stories tall. It's located within a city and um, they have done an enormous amount of research to unveil these plans to build a um, 650 foot, which by the way, just for fun, is 218 meter tower in which um, 100,000 square feet of the glass exterior is dedicated to producing food. So they're predicting that it will have uh, 590,000 pounds of it per year, which would also uh, contain around a million square feet of office space, supermarket, garden, food court, everything in between. So go look this up because it's not yet in the works. It's just something that um, they're hoping to implement as soon as possible. Uh, but it's a really interesting concept of this beautiful building. It has beautiful lighting but it essentially has a garden on the outside of the building. So something I think would be cool to discuss with students. Yeah, that's a very, very interesting concept, but yes, sounds really cool. It looks really cool. Definitely go look up uh, the photos. I'm not gonna be able to do it justice or I could like, like hold it up to, to the screen, which is nearly, not nearly as cool, but very progressive, beautiful looking building where they are trying to also, um, grow food on the outside. I think like looking out the windows would be so pretty because you're essentially looking through the greenery, looking through the produce to be able to see then the world outside of this building. It's a really interesting concept. So go look that up. Really good discussion for students and definitely kind of a fun fact, um, especially if they get the approval to start building. Um, it looks like it's going to be located in Asia. So something maybe worth visiting as well. Have you ever traveled to Asia, Megan? I have not. No, have you? See, we could put it on the list. We could go together. We could go see this building that they're going to build. I'm so excited. Field trip. I like Field it. trip. Yes. Oh, in the comments, we want to hear where you want to. Okay, give us a suggestion. Like, where would you travel right now? If money was not an obstacle, friends, where would you go travel today, this morning? Where would you go? Megan, if I told you that I was going to take you on a fabulous trip, you'd go anywhere you wanted, where would you go? Um, Ireland. Ireland. Ooh, that's a great spot. That's I like love my it. bucket list. Like if I could just get on a plane and go visit, I would. Would you be willing, Megan, to go with me? I'm going to Scotland in May and I feel like Scotland's really close to Ireland. So we could go together to Scotland and then like pop over to Ireland. Does that work for you or would that mess up your travel plans? Sign me up. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I'm going to go to Scotland in May to see my sister graduate, which is a huge deal. I'm so excited for her. And I will make sure to change all my travel plans so you and I can pop over to Ireland. That'll be good. Perfect. That's so nice of you. I love it. I try. Megan is in the comments. Megan Wells um, is in the comments saying that she wants to go to Australia. I've never been to Australia either. That would be a great spot to visit. I will kind of say, I don't know if there's any like administrators listening right now. But our admin mastermind in the in the afternoon on Tuesdays, which by the way, you can register for at teachbetter.com slash mastermind is so international. They always have like Australia and Guatemala and like there's all these different countries in our evening mastermind. I think like because for Australia, the the people we have like two or three administrators that join us. It's like the next morning for them. It's like 9 a.m 
but like in the future, it's so cool. That's awesome. That is, it's so cool that that is such a collective group. Like in my mind, like there, there's no problem that can't be solved when you have such a collective group together. Right. Well, even with our ambassadors, I mean, the countries that are represented within our ambassadors is so neat. The fact that we are a global ambassador program, a global administrator mastermind program. I mean, that allows for so many different perspectives, so many different voices to be represented. Yeah, it's really fun. So I, I've never been to Australia, Megan Wells, but if you want to meet somebody from Australia, you should come join our admin mastermind. You're welcome anytime. <laughs> so fun. Megan, we have a, a big day ahead of us. I know you need to go teach and go uh, do incredible things with students today. Thank you so much for joining Daily Drop-In, hanging out with me. I always love talking shop with you. And I just want to give a shout out again to all the work you are doing with our ambassador program. You are literally like essential in the Teach Better team. And I know also within the Teach Better family, but I literally couldn't do half of what I get to do right like day to day without you. So I appreciate you so much. And I always love being live with you. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. This is so fun. I love talking. Well, I just love sitting and talking to you. So any excuse to do that works for me. And shout out to Andrea because, you know, that ambassador program wouldn't be standing if uh, I didn't have didn't have her there to do it with me. So. So fun. If you guys want to learn about the ambassador program, applications are closed right now, just full transparency. But you can learn more about that program at teachbetter.com slash ambassadors. Um, we will be opening applications like later in 2022. So if that's interest of you, uh, we'd love to give you more information on how to apply when those open. Um, thank you for all of you that joined us this morning for the daily drop-in. Remember that we'll be live tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Eastern with the one and only Brad Hughes because it's Friday. So you know it's going to be a good one. Megan, I hope you have a wonderful day and people reach out to you with follow-up questions if they have them because I know you are constantly providing support to educators. Please enjoy your last sips of coffee as you head into your best Thursday that you've ever had. Today is Thursday, October 14th, and it's going to be a good one. So good to see everybody. We hope you have a wonderful day, and we'll see you tomorrow morning. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs>